When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I was working in the Redwood National Park at the time and only worked the night shift. I had never experienced a bear encounter in the park, although I heard people had been seeing them a lot lately. My shift was on a Friday night from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., so I had time to do my thing and catch up on anything. Usually, I carried a radio, a cell phone, and a gun. The radio was a base radio that could reach the visitor center in case of an emergency. The cell phone was specially designed for communication, so I could know who I was talking to. It wasn't exactly a personal cell phone or work cell phone. It was like an enhanced signal phone they give you. The thing about being a ranger at night was you can get very lonely, and the visitor center was closed during the day and these hours, so only other rangers were even working in the park. There was a lot of traveling with nobody to talk to. The radio was key to know what the other ranger was doing, and if they were nearby. I took my time that evening, doing my rounds and stopping to enjoy the scenery even at night. It was one of the best perks of the job. 
Now the visitor center was located on the west side of the park, and I would have to drive all my way around the west side to start my rounds. To make it to the west side, I would have to travel through the Dipsy Trail, which is a very popular trail for mountain bikers and hikers alike. The trail is open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. At night, it was very dark and foggy. I only got a radio call a couple of times during my shift, but never did I see another ranger. As I was driving along the Dipsy Trail, the fog was thick, and I could not see up the road ahead. As I was traveling about 20 miles an hour, I would use the brake lights of the car to see where I was going at some points. As I came around the corner, I saw what I thought was a mountain biker standing next to a tree. Making note of him, I made a comment out loud about how he should not be here, and the trail is closed. As I got closer, I noticed that this person wasn't actually wearing any clothes and was facing the tree. It was maybe about three feet away from the fog light of the car, and their back was facing me. I asked out loud several times, and the person did not move. All of my lights were on. Now, I was about 10 feet from this person, and I kept asking if they were okay and if they needed help. I began to get scared. I asked again if they needed help and turned on the siren. I still did not get a response. Something was wrong. I got to about five feet away from the tree the person was standing next to, and that's when this person just fell over. They were dead, and their face had been carved away, literally like with a knife. Think of how a pumpkin is. It was as if somebody had burrowed into their skull, and the face was gone. I have no idea how it was possible that they were actually standing up and how they managed to fall over. It reminded me of something that would happen to you in a horror movie, but I bailed out of there. After describing to the other rangers what I saw, they agreed to stay at the station with me and we'd go back to the trail to check it out. So we all ended up going down there within 10 minutes of the area where I originally saw the person on the trail. But as I got closer to the same spot, now I saw a different figure, a naked woman. I slowed down, and she began looking in my direction. The only issue is, I passed right through her, and her eyes began glowing red right after she passed my vehicle, or should I say walked through my vehicle, and then disappeared entirely. I mean, the other rangers were pretty scared and freaked out. We weren't exactly sure what to do. We just wanted to come out of the park. We wanted to be done. And by the way, there was no account of that body anymore. As a ranger, I should have called the body in and got help, but I was so spooked that I couldn't help but leave. This is when we went to retrieve that body that I'm talking about, the one with the burned out face. There were no signs of it, no signs of blood, attack, a murder, anything. Not even a trail or footmarks. It's as if the body just mysteriously disappeared. And then, the apparition of the naked woman with glowing eyes. I'm not sure what to think about that. Last I heard, and lastly my colleagues have heard, this trail and park is not haunted. But either way, I'm not sure what to think about it. Maybe it was a demonic encounter, maybe it was something else. I've been in many training sessions and have seen other rangers have paranormal experiences before. I've thought about telling somebody outside my work circle. I've just been very hesitant. People will probably laugh at me, potentially think I'm crazy. But I witnessed something that I did not understand. 
It changed me forever because it scared me and proved to me that those things sometimes you see in horror movies are true. I've thought a lot about this over the years and have finally decided to open up and talk to somebody. When we were teenagers backpacking, we found an old abandoned radio tower in the middle of the mountains, surrounded by grazing land far from any homes or farmsteads. There was an overgrown two-track forestry road and a few cows off maybe a one-fourth mile in the distance, no fences or gates. It was getting dark so naturally being asshole kids we decided to break into it. Maybe camp there or something. Mostly just being troublemakers. Inside we were immediately creeped the F out. There were ripped up stuffed animals everywhere, porno mags scattered all over, trash, sex toy packaging, a hammer or axe handle duct taped to a post, used rubber gloves, pieces of rope strewn about. All kinds of nasty shit. We promptly got the F out of there after a few minutes of poking around, and when we went back outside it was basically full dark, and all those cows that were off in the distance were standing in and around the road staring at us. It was creepy as F. We hiked all night by moonlight and flashlight to get the hell away from that place eventually finding a nice spot on some high ground as the sun was coming up. We slept a few hours and decided to cut the trip short and to head back out to the truck. Still had to spend another night to get back out because we were so far in and the terrain was so rugged. We were half expecting the truck to be vandalized or get kidnapped by some crazy deliverance rapist or something. It never stopped me from going back out but it was a harsh realization that crazy messed up people are the biggest threat in the wilderness. I was based for a summer near Jasper National Park, and I liked to hike on trails which continued on beyond the park boundary where hunting was legal in season. I knew that the hunting season was opening up soon and that some of the species that could be hunted outside the park also spent time in the national park where they only met friendly humans. So they had little fear of humans. On one early morning hike, I happened upon a herd of bighorn sheep just outside the national park boundary. So I thought I would try to inject a little fear of humans into them before the hunting season started. I shouted at the herd, ran toward them, waved my arms, and generally made an ass out of myself. Predictably, the sheep ran away and just as I was congratulating myself about potentially saving these animals from a date with a bullet, I looked over to my right and stared directly at two hunters who had been sleeping under the stars, probably scouting in advance of the season opening up, but were now sitting bolt upright in their sleeping bags. I waved at them and quickly slunk away. I was the person that probably made these hunters not want to go back out into the woods. We were way the F out there in the middle of nowhere on BLM land in Colorado. We drove for an hour and a half down a forest service road and didn't see another soul. You could see headlights and hear cars from miles away from our campsite. It's not like somebody could have snuck up unnoticed. We had three cars with us and eight people. Just got done eating dinner, cleaned up. It was getting dark so we went back to the cars real quick before hitting our tents for the night. Somebody had slashed the front right tire on each of the three cars with what appeared to be a box cutter. Everyone thought it was a prank, 
but it become very apparent very quickly that it wasn't. All of us were beyond spooked like panicking, scary to watch spooked. We all had spares and one dude had a gun, so we threw on our donuts while that guy literally guarded us and got the hell out of there. I still have nightmares about it sometimes. Just knowing there was some person probably watching us, maybe wanting to harm us, makes me feel physically ill to this day. Edit. Well, this blew up. To answer some questions, this was south of Gypsum, and it was 100% not private land. This was a marked forest service road in an area with dispersed camping I had visited several times before. There were three guys and five girls. The guys were all together cooking the whole time leading up to us discovering the tires being slashed. These people are my best friends, and this would be wildly uncharacteristic of any of them. For those wondering how we didn't hear it, our cars were parked 30 yards away from our fire or tents. And a car coming down a road is easy to pick out from the sounds of nature. A gentle hissing gets lost in the wind. We heard it as soon as we started walking up. The tires were slashed on the exact same spot on the sidewall. It would be almost impossible for something on the road to puncture the tires like that. Also, there was no cell service. We called the cops and ranger as soon as we got back to the highway, told them exactly what FS road we were on and gave them coordinates, but there isn't a lot for them to do. Cop told us it was good we were packing and to be careful out there. A tangential experience your story reminded me of from when I was younger. My buddies told me about an abandoned mansion in the area, and my curiosity got the best of me to go check it out. According to what they said, the neighbors were fond of calling the police whenever they saw someone unfamiliar checking the place out so me, being the not genius I was, decided to go the back way through the woods, cause the house was relatively close to a trail. I pulled the address of the allegedly abandoned mansion up on my phone and punched it into my GPS, then went off into the woods, checking and basically stumbling off the trail to move myself closer to the mapped address. For the curious, this wasn't a serious trail where this could put one in danger. Meadowdale Beach Trail for the curious. Some might know the house I'm talking about if they're from my area, but hey. Anyway, partway through I found my way to a strange, paved back road in the middle of the woods. Never figured out what it was, didn't follow it. I'd come from one side from off the trail, and on the other side was a steep hill. I thought I heard a car I didn't, panicked and climbed up the hill to hide. At the top, I spotted a group of about a dozen tents. This was about 1-2 p.m. in the afternoon, but a solid 30-plus minutes from the trail, with only what appeared to be a private road. I promptly crapped myself and slipped away before seeing anyone or waiting for them to see me, but did end up finding the mansion after all this, albeit on a different trip into the area. This happened to my grandfather years ago. I guess he was out hunting and walking around in some woods maybe five miles from a main road near where my family settled north of Pittsburgh. He said that he started seeing these burnt-out candles and started picking them up for some reason. He followed them for like a 100 yards, and at the very end there was a circle of black candles with a hole in the ground that looked to be a grave. He brought all the candles home and my grandma yelled at him, 
and made him throw them away. I used to often spend my summers bouldering with my friends by a relatively large forest that was about an hour and a half away from where I used to live. We used to spend some of the nights camping out there just to save some travel costs and time. Anyway, I think this was roughly like the third or fourth time we were out there camping. My friend had left all her climbing gear and her rucksack just outside her tent, or we definitely think she did anyway. The next morning we found her boots, a few clothes, and all her chalk powder had disappeared. We figured that it could have been completely feasible that she misplaced it. Although we were quite sure that they were next to her tent, we didn't really want to believe that they were stolen. Anyway, we didn't read too much into this and just stupidly said to ourselves that perhaps she had left it by the boulders and some animal took an interest to it. I know it sounds stupid, but it was very reasonable to us at the time anyway fast forward a year, we're at the same spot as usual, sitting by the tents and chilling after having some food. Mind you it's pitch black out, and only the camp area is lit by the fire. I go somewhere a bit out of sight for a slash and what do I see? A dude in a full-on ghillie suit laying on his stomach looking right towards our campsite. I kinda stood there frozen as this dude clocks that I've seen him, and he just bolts it out of there. I don't know whether the event to the year prior was related to the ghillie guy, but this definitely has stuck to all of us. We haven't been back there since which is a damn shame. I hiked very frequently and was on a trail and about eight miles from the nearest gravel road. It was just me and my dog. Just to note I have hiked these trails frequently and only ever seen other people during mushroom hunting season and only near where the parking patches are and this was in January freezing cold, no mushrooms. I'd been going at it for almost two hours when I stumbled on a pile of bones. Large bones. Bigger than human, maybe a cow, maybe buffalo, maybe horse. They were completely clean and sun bleached, no flesh, no fur. I find deer remains all the time always have fur on the legs. This means someone or something cleaned them, or they are old bones. The scary part is they were neatly arranged into a pyramid shape, all leaning on each other like a teepee. I was just on this trail the week before, and there had been no bones. There had also not been a giant dead animal, and there wouldn't have been any rotting happening because it was 20F. I stared at them for a while then turn around and spot more peculiarities. The tree behind me had several bones strung up and hung in the tree by the trail marks. They swayed in the wind and kinda clunked gently like a morbid wind chime. So this means it had to have been somebody and not some weird raccoons or something. I start to panic because does this mean somebody is watching me? Am I being warned or stalked? I always go on a select few trail, and this is one of my most frequented, and never have I seen someone else out so far. The hairs on my neck stand up because I'm sure I am in the crosshairs of some serial killer who has been stalking me. I walk with headphones and he could have followed me for weeks and I wouldn't have known. My dog freezes and points toward a different large tree ten yards away. The hair of her scruff raises, and she starts to growl and creep toward the tree. I'm panicking I have nothing other than my hiking stick. My dog barks once she's forty pounds by the way not an attack dog and starts sprinting toward the tree. I instinctively crouch down, 
She reaches the tree and a turkey takes off from the other side gobbling as it flies away. I can still feel my pulse in my eyes as I watch it fly away. I sigh, pet my dog and check to make sure I didn't shit myself. I snap a few pics of the weird bone shit and make my way back. Still hike through there, bones still there untouched, I'm not messing with that voodoo. No idea where they came from, probably some old coot trying to scare people. It worked on me. This happened to me about 15 to 16 years ago and scared the shit out of me. I spent 12 weeks alone in northwestern Utah. It was pretty empty. Anyhow, sometime around 3 a.m. in the morning, I was suddenly awakened by a very strange sound. It lasted about 10 seconds, and it came from maybe 30 feet away. I've been camping a shit ton and have never, ever heard anything like that. It was an animal sound that was a long, low moan that had a decidedly aggressive tint to it. I sat bolt upright instantly and thought, that is not a cow, not a horse, not a deer. But maybe a cow? I had no weapons except a massive mag light, and before I knew it, I was sprinting barefoot in my underwear for the unlocked truck that was who knows, 50 to 100 feet away. I got in and rolled a window partly down and looked back in the direction of the sound in my tent nothing. After waiting for an hour, still nothing. I can't remember if there was a moon that night. Luckily, there was a big scratchy wool sweater in the truck to put on. I never heard it again. I wish I had looked for footprints. Maybe 15 years passed and I searched for the sound on YouTube. I was suspicious that it was a mountain lion. Yup, a mountain lion. My background is neuroscience and biology, nothing out of the ordinary for an academic. I've worked for multiple pharmaceutical companies. I was even one of the early employees at Ali Lilly's neuroscience division. At a medical device company, I was in college during the tail end of the Cold War when Reagan was in office and the evil empire was still around. I had a couple of friends, John and Pat, for the story. They were on top-secret clearances as part of some army intelligence programs. John was one of the smartest people I ever knew, with a genius-level ick, easily in the top 1% of people. Pat was in John's same grad school program. They were part of a special operations unit in the U.S. Army, working on top-secret biological warfare research, believe it or not. I don't know all the details, but they were most likely involved in creating pathogens. John and Pat were tight-lipped about their project for obvious reasons, but they were pretty open about how easy it was to create biological weapons. They mentioned the possibility of maybe having created some sort of pathogen that was incurable. John had a brother who worked at Fort Detrick. John talked about him crying when he found out what they were working on. His brother told him that nobody would believe them if they ever spilled the beans about what was really going on. Years go by, John and Pat get out of the army and are immediately enlisted in this government project that was busy investigating various chemical and biological agents. They were tasked with creating new kinds of pathogenic weapons. I forget what they called it, but basically they were trying to create new strains of pathogens that they could then use in experiments on animals. They were tasked with finding the best way to create new pathogens without being detected. 
They were able to take samples of various kinds of engineered viruses and use them as a vector for a new kind of pathogen, test each one on animals. This would allow them to learn a lot about the best way to create new pathogens without having to use them. John and Pat said this was really easy, even without using live viruses as vectors. They could simply extract the genetic material from the pathogen, find a vector so it could be transferred into another organism, like harmless bacteria, for example, and then test it. The product of this kind of experiment is a pathogen that can be used as a weapon, but it would be a biological weapon that could never be traced back to its source. At some point in their tenure at this project, they received a call from the Pentagon. They were told that one of the samples they'd been testing was extremely dangerous, and it had somehow gotten loose. They were told to pack up their stuff immediately and leave the premise, and not say a word about what had happened and what they had worked on. They were discharged, for lack of a better word, from the project altogether and given $200,000 each in settlement under the table. They had no idea how it happened that this pathogen had got out of the lab, but it was later very quickly contained by military personnel before ever reaching civilian territory. Shortly thereafter, John and Pat were immediately moved into the bioweapons division that worked on creating humanoids of various kinds by intersplicing DNA of a variety of species, with the ultimate goal to create a superhuman soldier. I don't remember the details he told me, but they worked on creating a new type of being with superhuman abilities that, if it ever escaped, would be virtually unstoppable. Fortunately, that has not happened. Pat told me that because of his past history, John was considered a security risk, and he was not allowed to be anywhere near the facility where this new type of being was being created. Pat apparently wasn't allowed on site, only on the periphery of where he would be stationed, looking at security feeds. I asked Pat what had happened with this bioweapons division. He told me that it started as a joint CIA and military project, but it fell more and more into the control of the military as its life went on. Pat had suspicion that something had happened. Apparently, there was a falling out between the head of the... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. CIA and the CIA eventually lost total control of the project. I don't really remember the details, but he said it soon became very obvious that the military was now conducting experiments, creating new weapons based on designs and ideas from this project. Pat had a feeling that they were, in some way, responsible for creating a new kind of pathogen, and they would use it in some experiments in the field. I don't remember who they were experimenting on, but Pat said it was very obvious that they were no longer in control. There's a lot more to the story, but I asked him if he could give me some specific examples of something that had happened in the field. He told me he'd have to think about it. The next time we talked, he told me that it seemed like all the lawsuits that came out of the U.S. soldiers who were exposed to something in Iraq, that's what it seemed like to him. I even asked him if he could explain that a little bit better since I was having trouble understanding. He told me that at first, there were rumors and concerns about a new type of pathogen, and then that's when lawsuits emerged. He thinks they were being told to put soldiers from Iraq into quarantine. He thinks that's what the lawsuits were about, as if there was some sort of big cover-up. I asked him if he can tell me more about what had happened. Was this some sort of new virus? He explained no, but he was not allowed to tell me any more than that. He's already spoken too much. I don't want to push him, so we moved on with the conversation, going back to the bio-life forms that they were working on. He informed me that several of these subjects were still being created and worked on today. They were initially designed to be used during the Iraq war in the early 2000s, but for reasons unbeknownst to him, the plug was somehow pulled and bioweapons were not used. That was part of the reason 9-11, I guess, was originally conducted, due to pressure from the CIA military and other shadow branches of government putting pressure to have means to test these new subjects. Of course, among many other reasons, but that's a rabbit hole he did not dive deep into. Again, he thinks the U.S. government has used these new life forms in some capacity, and it's most likely happening without people even realizing. He said during his time, they were working on humanoids, and the project was still in its infancy when he left. He stated that they were nowhere near mature enough to be used, and the only reason he was still employed at the facility is that they needed people to help run these experiments. This was, of course, the pre-alpha stage, as he calls it. He said that they would bring these deformed humanoids to him, and he was supposed to experiment on them. But there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, of course. This was all before he was banned from the facility, only working the security feed, and long before John was banned. Pat had been told that he was being used to run tests on these humanoids, but there were other things going on where he was also being used to experiment. One of these said experiments was the J-Rod, who became well-known for making contact with several other high-ranking military and government officials. Again, he did not go into detail, but mentioned there were these groups that put together, made up of various divisions of the military, to make contact. He did not want to go into any further detail with that. I told him I understood. I asked him if there was anything else he wanted to add, and he told me that the whole time he was working there, 
He was still trying to figure out what the whole facility was about, and that's why it took him so long to leave. It wasn't until he began to see the humanoids that he began to realize it was something more than just military experiments. Pat said that at the time, the facility was beyond top secret, and then even most of his co-workers didn't know exactly what they were doing at first. This was before the experiments really began. They had to go in blind at first while things were being set up. They were forbidden to ask too many questions. He even told me the only reason why he was able to see the humanoids is because of his rank and his tour of duty. Most people were not allowed to see them, and the ones who did had their lives threatened. Pat stated that he is fairly certain that the old facility is now sold, and it's now a part of an advanced military-industrial complex. He also mentioned that there are corporations involved with whatever is going on. He said that part of what made it so difficult to leave was because there were people watching him, and he knew that if he left with the sensitive information he had, his life could be threatened. He was also scared that the new military personnel at the facility might try and do harm to him or his family. The reason I told the story to the person I did is that it was something that really stuck out in my mind when he said it. I knew that I had to share it with somebody, and this site seemed like a good place. That was the first I'd ever heard of Pat talking about the facility, and when I think about it, he still knows a lot of information. He was in charge of a good portion of a large military base after all. Pat has been retired for quite some time now, and he's in his late 60s. I think it's fair to say that he's old enough and retired enough not to necessarily fear for his life. Pat has lived a full life at this point. In conclusion, I hope you take the information here to heart and understand that our government and military do not have your best interest. We are but cattle for them to slaughter and experiment on. Our lives mean nothing to the greater good of humanity and country. These kinds of things, not specifically bioweaponry but experimenting, have been going on for a very, very long time. I think we're just now seeing a lot of it coming to the surface, and it's scaring people. Remember to always think for yourself, and know that eventually, the truth will come out. One final quick note. All the information here might seem disorganized and disingenuous, but all the intel I've gathered for you is a combination of information I've gathered from over years and years of conversations with Pat and John alike. So, if there are any details that overlap or don't make sense, just know that and try to put all the pieces together yourself. Besides, I've given you all the information. I hope this is enough. My family has a ranch in South Texas. After a particularly long day clearing brush, my dad, uncle, and I hopped in our truck and headed up toward the trailer. It was dusk when we left, so the sun had just begun to droop below the cedar and mesquite brush line. Now it was about a 20-minute drive back to the trailer, so by the time we began pulling up the dirt path, it had gotten pretty dark. Dad hopped out of the truck to unlock the gate, and that's when all three of us heard this horrible scream followed by a ton squealing sounds. Growing up on a ranch, you hear a ton of different sounds and see millions of different sights. It's hard to put into words, but this sounded like what I'd imagined death would. After several consecutive seconds less than a minute, but definitely longer than 30, 
The squealing stopped and was followed by several thunderous booms that shook the truck we had taken refuge in. From the direction of the sounds, a herd of several dozen hogs stampeded toward us. These weren't javelina or other small game. No, these were full-grown, big-ass hogs running right toward us. Several slammed head first into the passenger side of the truck. As with the squealing, the stampede ended as quickly as it began with the hogs disappearing into the brush. The next morning we went out to inspect the damage. The damage to the truck was incredible massive dents with clumps of blood and fur attached in various places. Several piglets and smaller hogs were trampled or died from contact with the truck. We decided to trace the source of the stampede, where we had first heard the squealing, so we made our way through the thicket of cat claw and mesquite brush until we found it. Three, possibly four piglets were absolutely slaughtered, torn apart, and a coyote lay dead and bloodied right in the middle of it. The worst part, a large hunting knife embedded in the coyote. That's when we realized there was someone else out there that night. I work at a Boy Scout camp in the Sierras called Camp Wolfboro. The camp runs for the summer and seven weeks of not interacting with anyone but children and the other staff makes us a little crazy. We get bored and do stupid stuff. Metal detecting at 2 a.m. because eff it. So anyway, I was walking around at around 11 p.m. with my friend Colin when he just dead stops in the middle of the trail and says we are being watched. He's in the military, so I assume he knows this shit and I stop and start looking around for someone or something. Colin points off into the tree line, and we see two shining eyes looking at us from around 30 yards off. He whispers, Bigfoot, and as if on quid, this big-ass Bigfoot stands up and just stares at us. We, being Boy Scouts, are prepared for this situation and start cussing it out at the top of our lungs while making hand motions and walking away slowly. It lumbers off. I work on a vehicle ferry. It's a short route, only two miles across a river, 24-hour service. Every half hour, I'm walking through the boat from the deck to the pilot house. I was on the biggest of our four boats, which has two long hallways in the passenger lounge, connected at each end with a semi-large foyer. There are windows along each hallway. It's 1.30 a.m. and the lights are on inside so I can only see reflections in the windows instead of seeing the darkness outside. I'm approaching the end of the left hallway and in my peripheral, I see the reflection of a woman in white with waterlogged long black hair covering her face. She was standing in the foyer ahead of me. I swung my head to look at the reflection straight on, but she wasn't there anymore. I slowly looked around the corner and into the foyer, but there wasn't anyone there. I hightailed it into the pilot house and didn't tell my crew in case they joked on me. I saw her again going down the same hallway in the same manner two hours later. I watched the show Supernatural, so I started carrying a vial of salt with me in case that would actually work to dispel it enough for me to run. I've asked around the only person that died on the ferries was a chief engineer two decades ago due to a heart attack, and that was on another boat. Definitely not a female and not drowned. Once I went biking and camping in the Masurian Lakes District in Poland. 
Except a few ports full of tourists, it's quite a remote place, and you can ride for lots of miles through forests without meeting anyone. So me and my ex-boyfriend had a map of campsites in the area and moved from one to another. Usually those were typical campings with staff electricity, etc. But sometimes we slept in abandoned sites, which was pretty creepy. Anyway, one day we decide to go to this campsite by the lake my boyfriend visited when he was a kid. We even found online that it was still open and hoped it'll be fine. Previously, boyfriend told me of an old Prussian cemetery in the forest nearby, and that some of the graves were open so you can see human bones I was scared as hell, but thought it'll be okay if there are people around. So we go there, but it turns out there's no road to this place, and we have to cross some fields on the way there, leaving nearest buildings more than four miles behind. Meanwhile, there's a storm coming from the opposite side of the lake. When we get there, everything's in complete ruin. There was some food left as if someone didn't care about finishing it. The buildings of the campsite were deliberately destroyed. Even the pier was taken out of the water, remnants of the campsite just floating around. I was really scared and wanted to get back, but my boyfriend walked around and said it'll be fine. So with all the destruction around there was a portable toilet just standing there like no one cared to take it away. It was closed, I approached it and heard wailing from inside. It was very loud and sounded like a human crying, but without any words. I ran to my boyfriend and said I'm really scared. He told me it was just the wind, but after approaching the toilet he admitted it did sound like a human. We tried knocking and asking if everything was okay, but all we heard were those crying noises. We even tried to open the thing, but it was like someone was holding it from the inside and crying louder and sadder. There was also an empty beer bottle in front of the toilet, like someone entered it and someone else put a bottle by the door. As you can expect, we got more scared every minute, with the storm and the forest and the graveyard in this wailing, so we just ran away from there. My dad once told me how he and a couple of buddies were hunting in the deep New Zealand bush and suddenly stumbled into a small area where the bush or shrub had been all squashed down. It quickly got really weird as they noticed that something really large had moved from there, like just thrashing or forcefully crashing its way through the bush. It got shit freaky as they also noticed that there was massive amounts of fresh i.e. wet blood accompanying the trail of broken bush. Apparently we're talking about heaps of blood, like Jesus Christ. Surely whatever made this is bleeding out and lying dead just around the corner. They kept tracking this thing for 10-15 minutes expecting to find. The largest bush mammal we have here is deer, and there are no large predators here. So they keep tracking and suddenly the blood or crash trail abruptly stops. All signs of bush crashing and heavy bleeding come to a sudden and unexplained end. This was deep in uninhabited bush, and still to this day there is no logical answer. For so much recent blood loss and no explanation for it, needless to say they were all really creeped out. The summer of 2008 was etched in my memory as a time of both innocence and chilling discovery. I was in my room, idly looking out the window facing the road, as the clock struck noon. It was a typical day in the quiet neighborhood, the sun shining brightly, and the world seemed peaceful. 
But then something caught my eye. A movement behind a tree on the neighbor's property, just across the street. It was distant, but my curiosity was piqued. I called out to my younger brother, excitedly sharing my discovery, and together we fetched a cheap pair of binoculars to get a closer look. At the edge of the road, we adjusted the binoculars and scanned the area. What I saw through those lenses sent shivers down my spine and haunted my thoughts to this day. It was a face, but it resembled neither a human nor an animal. Its features were grotesque, nightmarish even, and it peeked out from behind the tree with an unsettling aura. My gasp of surprise made my brother eager to see for himself. I handed him the binoculars and pointed to the spot where I had seen the strange entity. I can't see anything, he said, sounding a bit disappointed. Doubt crept into my mind, but I couldn't let go of the image that had burned itself into my memory. Taking back the binoculars, I looked again. To my disbelief, the creature had vanished from my sight. But as I lowered the binoculars, a chill ran down my spine. It had moved closer, crossing the road with an eerie, almost supernatural swiftness. This wasn't some distant figment of my imagination. It was real and close. Too close for comfort. My heart pounded in my chest as I saw it in broad daylight, mere feet away from us. The skinman I could think of no other name to describe the haunting entity that now stood around thirty feet away. Fear gripped me and instinct kicked in. We ran, my brother and I, trying to put as much distance as we could between ourselves and the inexplicable creature. But it didn't let us go that easily. It pursued us, an unsettling shadow just behind, but somehow it stopped right before crossing onto our property. We were safe within the boundaries of our home, but the fear remained, lingering like a ghostly presence. We named it the Skinman, a name that sounded chillingly fitting for something that seemed neither human nor animal. It became a whispered legend among my friends and neighbors, an unspoken caution to avoid venturing too far from the safety of our homes. As the days turned into weeks and then years, the memory of that encounter remained vivid, replaying in my mind like a haunting reel. The Skinman became a part of our shared lore, the enigmatic creature that reminded us that the world was vast and held secrets beyond our understanding. To this day, I wonder about the Skinman's true nature, its purpose, and why it chose to reveal itself to us that summer afternoon in 2008. It taught me that the world is far stranger than we can ever comprehend, and sometimes the line between reality and the supernatural blurs in the most unexpected ways. I was in a program that I entered in the year of 1987 called the Job Corp and was near Roseburg, Oregon. One afternoon about 3 p.m., after working on painting a side of the buildings and my arms feeling quite sore from the same movement of painting, I decided to take a walk alone to the creek that was a few meters away from the camp location. I guess I just needed to take some time away from everyone there. I had many thoughts of the day and mostly the future days I would be spending there. During the first part of the walk, nothing was very eventful. I never noticed anything unusual. But when I reached the creek and started to find a good place to sit down, I noticed a very foul stench coming of the bend and to the other side of the creek. I thought a skunk had came by, so I decided to move a little further down the bank. Well, I didn't notice at first because I was trying not to fall into the water. 
But on the other side of the creek, there was a huge animal splashing water around. It didn't see me at first, but I think that it didn't seem to care. I know that there was no fish in the creek because I was told that there wasn't by a person at the camp. I really wasn't sure what it was doing. I thought it was a huge bear, but I told as well that there was no bears in this area. I stood there in between two tree trunks that it did notice me and started to walk into the water. I decided this was a good time to leave and ran out and back on the trail. I was not sure if this creature was behind me or not. I was afraid to look back. I told a few people at the camp what I saw. As usual, no one believed me. So I decided to bring a camera with me everywhere I went hoping that I would capture it on film. Unfortunately, I never seen it after that. I would like to mention that it was dark brown, maybe due to that it was wet. It smelled musky or more than just that. I can't really say in exactly the right words. It was over seven feet tall. When it entered the water and splashed it so much that if an elephant or something like it was waiting in the water. This happened when I was 17 years old. I am 33 now, and when this event took place I left Oregon altogether. One day me and my ex were in my car in one of those cliché lookout spots you take your girl when you want to make out. The area was secluded a couple miles outside of the city, so we're hanging out talking when I noticed a large man's shadow pass by in the rear view mirror and disappear into the shrubbery on the right. I'm like oh shit, and I tell her what's going on and we're both kind of just sitting there, feeling like we're being watched from the shadows. After being there for about five minutes I turn the car on and try driving away from where he had disappeared into, but then I found out there wasn't a way out in that direction so I had to turn back. As I did that, the car's headlights illuminated the shrubbery and sure enough he was there. Heavy set bald guy in a coat just standing there looking straight into my headlights. We pass by the guy, his eyes just trained on us and get the hell out of there. Creepiest thing ever. So glad I caught his reflection. I was with my parents on vacation at Russian River in California. We had rented a cabin that was probably 10 miles out of a small town. The cabin had a dry riverbed behind it, and one day I decided to go exploring. I was walking along the riverbed for maybe 15-20 minutes when I came across a large and abandoned campsite that was in a clearing. There were five or so old tents, with clothes and stuff scattered about. Everything was really dirty and tattered looking so it has been there a while. I was standing there staring at it wanting to move closer, but knowing I shouldn't. As I was taking the scene and I heard a stick snap in the hill up to my right. I whirled around looking in the direction, scanning the tree line, but didn't see anything. Seeing as there could be at least five people hiding, judging by the tents, I decided to turn around. I was walking as quickly as I could along the rocky riverbed without tripping, all while occasionally hearing a twig snap or the crunch of leaves once every few minutes over to my left. I kept looking behind me and up at the trees to see if I could see anything, but didn't. I finally made it to another clearing where the tree line was further back, and whoever or whatever was following me would have been forced to step into the open or move wildlife further away to stay concealed. I took the chance to run the remaining distance as fast as I safely could back to the cabin. 
Could this be a Bigfoot?